Hebrews 13. We started this last week. We will be continuing it, what we called house rules. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for how you desire to teach us. You tell us in your word that if we will humble our hearts, you will gladly teach sinners the way, the way in which we are to walk here on earth. Jesus Christ came and gave his life. He also gave us a model of holiness and dependence on the Holy Spirit. And so please, Holy Spirit, speak. Teach us the way of our Lord. And may we receive your word with all seriousness, knowing that you alone have the way of eternal life. And you tell us that the road is narrow, but there you are guiding us home. So it may be narrow, but we have a Savior who has gone before us. He is our forerunner. He is our pioneer who has entered into the courts of heaven before us. And you say, come. You desire for us to follow you where you currently are, a place of glory. And we are tempted. We are led astray. Our hearts will often wander after false gods. And there you continue to be patient with us and say, come. And may your people come after you, those who call themselves Kaz Church. Open up our ears, please. Open up our hearts. And may we listen to what you have for us today in your word. You were such a gracious, and as we sang earlier, a good God. We pray all this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 6. We're told, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Last week, we began looking at this last chapter in Hebrews. And the main substance of this letter we have already dealt with. We spent months looking over all of that. We've been told that Jesus Christ is supreme and that he is the only way to the Father. He's accomplished everything necessary to bring us into the throne room. Nothing is required of us except faith in him. He's done it all. We don't accomplish our salvation. He has. 
He's gone there before us as the perfect man, bringing his blood into the holy of holies so that our sins can be cleansed. Just like those priests in the Old Testament would do once a year, they would walk into the holy place and into the most holy place and offer up the blood of a lamb once a year for the sins of the people. But our Savior has done this once for all time with his perfect blood. He is the spotless lamb. And he has won an inheritance for all who trust in him. And he is now there in the throne room of heaven. And he is going to come back for his people to bring us where he currently is. That is his promise. That is what he tells everyone who trusts in him. And I hope today that is you. Have you trusted in this good Savior? And there's a sense in which that we're already there with him. We saw that in chapter 12. It's so assured, all that he has done, so guaranteed, so finished. It's like we are already in heaven. And this gathering that we have right now where we sing his praises, we worship him, it is a preview of what is to come always. A gathering of God's people, every tongue, tribe, and nation assembled together around the throne of God. And as we live down here, we begin to live out this heavenly lifestyle. So as if we are already there, we begin to live it down here with the spirit that has been put inside of us. So we have the desires of Jesus. We have the heart and the loves of Christ. We want to be holy like he is. That's our desire, filled with love like he is, like we read a short while ago from 1 John chapter 4. The love of God has been placed in us. And so the children of the Father, they begin to resemble him. That's the way it is in our homes, is it not? Children begin to emulate and do as their father and their mother do. So the children of God are to do that in all holiness as we watch the Son. Last week, we talked about house rules. In our homes, all of them have a way about them, a way that we conduct ourselves, rules in the house, an ethic that guides the way that our families operate. Well, God's family has an ethic too, and it can be boiled down to two basic commands, and you know them. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but also the second, love your neighbor as yourself. And so we're told here in verse 1 of chapter 13, let brotherly love continue. This is love your neighbor as yourself. And in verse 2, we began to see how this is fleshed out. Children learning, maturing in their love for one another. We're told that we are to generously meet the needs of others. That's what we learned last week together. That's what brotherly love looks like. The Father and the Son, they have this kind of love, this generous, sacrificial love in themselves. And the Spirit, now given to us, leads the children to do as they do. And so that is the kind of love that is underneath the command to show hospitality to strangers. It's generous love. We use what we have. We use our possessions we use our resources, we use our abilities and the gifts that God has given to us to serve others and draw them 
to the Son. That's the kind of love that we are to give. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 tells us that we are to remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Now, that might sound like a kind of strange command. The first two things that he tells us about brotherly love, he tells us that we are to show hospitality to strangers and to remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. As I was thinking on that this week, I was reminded of some words from Jesus when he said to those who stood before him, this is Matthew chapter 25, Maybe you remember these words. He said, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And if you see there in that sentence, there is hospitality to strangers and there is ministering to those who are in prison. And so this is not the first time that these words are given to the people of Christ. This type of lifestyle marks those who belong to Jesus. But there is a practical reason here that this command is given to remember those who are in prison. And the reason is, is that because some of these brothers who are in this church are there. There are people from this church that's being written to who are currently in prison. We saw back in chapter 10 that this church has a history of helping those who are in their congregation who have been thrown in prison for just being Christians. They've not done evil. They've done nothing wrong. They are being mistreated simply because they are followers of Jesus Christ. And so the governing authorities have begun taking their possessions from them and put some of them in prison. And at the risk of their own safety, these people are going and taking care of them, identifying with these people who call themselves Christians and understanding that as they go and take care of their needs, they might be put there too. So as they go and serve these people, they are doing it at great cost or potential cost to themselves, which is what love does. Love is willing to sacrifice for the needs of another at great cost to oneself. And who modeled that for us? Our Savior, Jesus Christ. So they're encouraged here, do not forget to do that again. Why would they forget that? I don't think they would forget that those people are there. I think when, they say, when they're being told, remember those who are in prison, they're being told, don't neglect those who are in prison out of fear. You're going to be tempted to not go because you're afraid of what might happen to you. Don't be afraid. The Lord Jesus is with you. He is with you spiritually. He is with you, but his love is with you too. Go and minister to those who are in need. He will care for you. does not mean that you will not end up suffering alongside of them. You might. But be willing to do that and show the love of Christ to these people who are right now being mistreated in a jail cell. It could just as easily be you that is there instead of them. And wouldn't you want somebody to come and minister to you? And then he follows up that command with a call to remember those who are mistreated. 
mistreated. Not just those who are being mistreated in prison, but anybody who is being mistreated in the body, somebody who is suffering as a Christian. It seems here that he is emphasizing physical suffering. They're physically hurting in some way because he follows that by reminding us that we also are in the body. We have bodies like they do, and we know what it's like to hurt. And we need people to help us when we are hurting. And so we should be able to sympathize with these people because we know pain, we know hunger, we know sickness, we know abuse. And so we remember those who are in prison as in prison with them, but we also remember those who are suffering mistreatment as though it is happening to us. We can relate. And I don't know about you, but I need this word. I am tempted to have an out-of-sight, out-of-mind mentality. And there's so much suffering out there in the world, it can be a little bit overwhelming, can it not? And we can hear about so much of it. We're constantly inundated with bad news. And it's almost as if we begin to numb ourselves to it. You hear it and you say, man, that's a real shame. And then you move on to the next thing. I read a letter this week about the mistreatment that some of our brothers in Myanmar are facing. Terrible things. Homes being burned, arrested, people being killed, hungry. And I've been to that country. I've seen some of those faces. But after reading a letter like that, it does not take very long for my mind to just eventually drift to something else. And to forget. That's why we're being told here to remember. My mind goes to all sorts of other things. But this is what I am being told by God to think on, to not forget, to pray on because this could be me. I just so happen to be living in a country on the other side of the world where I have different laws, but I've got the same Savior. And my allegiance is more to the kingdom of God and to those people than simply those who share a heritage with me in this land. I need to do unto others as I would have them do unto me. Remember them, pray for them, plead with God on their behalf that there would be protection and kindness shown to them, deliverance. That somebody would be there to show favor to these people in their physical suffering. They are being abused and hurt and killed for the sake of Jesus Christ. That could be me. And who knows, someday that might just be us. And so here we are being called to brotherly neighbor love in the remembrance of those who are being mistreated. So here's the command summed up for us here in this, for verse 3. The children of God will love one another by bearing the burdens of those who are suffering. We're called to help. And so for those people over in Myanmar, maybe I'm not able to help them physically. Maybe I am in some way. Maybe I can send resources. Maybe I can use what God has given to me to help them. But often we feel like we're just not able. We can pray. 
But there are also people, maybe close by, maybe even people in this congregation or people in our city that are being mistreated. Maybe we can use what we have to help them. And so I ask you, church, is there someone that you can help? Somebody that you know about that maybe God is not calling you to pass along to someone else. And maybe not pass along to the church at large, but God has given them or placed them right in front of you to help. They're being mistreated. They're in need of some kind. Who is it? Are there people that you need to pray for? People that you are prone to forget? We come here often on Sunday mornings and we, we share, I guess, prayer requests, things that we know about, things that are hurting us on the inside. We want other people to know about and pray for. And we hear that and we say, yes, I will pray for them, but what do we do so often? We forget. We're being called here to remember. And so let's collectively ask the Lord this morning to give us a heart of remembrance to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ and those around us who are being mistreated and abused and hurt. There are two more commands that are given here that govern the life of the church, house rules. I'm going to give both of them to you here and then we're going to look more closely at one of these this week, and we'll finish with that one, and then we'll come back and finish this passage next week. But I'm going to give both of them to you. Here are the two commands. And you see these in verse 4 and verse 5. The first one is, The children of God will love one another by honoring marriage and practicing sexual purity. That's verse 4. Verse 5 is, the children of God will love one another by being content with what they have. You might think to yourself, at face value, they don't seem to be telling me how to love somebody else, right? But if we think about these a little more closely, we'll realize that both of them are included in the Ten Commandments, which tell us, how to love God and love our neighbor. Both of these commands are in the second table of the Ten Commandments, which tell us how to love our neighbor. And they're given to us as prohibitions, laws to keep, things to not do. Thou shalt not commit adultery. This is a way that we love our neighbor. We're also told in the last commandment, thou shalt not covet which if you flip that around and give the positive command, means that we will be content with what we have. So both of these are commands or ways that we can love one another. Today we're simply going to deal with the first of those, marriage and sexual purity. One of the most basic foundations of society is marriage. It's a bedrock of the created order that God made when he established the earth. It's one of the first things that he did. That's what marriage is. 
Marriage as God defines it between a man and a woman. And the importance of this cannot be underestimated. When biblical marriage is attacked, so is the family, and so is all of the created order. This is a pillar that any good and rightly ordered society stands on, marriage. It's the world where children are raised and taught. It's the primary relationship where love is shown, where future men and women are grown and nurtured and cared for. It's where the biblical mandate to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth is carried out. So marriage underpins any well-ordered, good society. But there's also a spiritual element here that's being given to us in marriage. Marriage is meant by God to be a living representation on earth between Christ and his church. It models what that looks like in a relationship of love between a man and a woman. And so to represent marriage in a way that God has not intended it is not only a sure fire way of destroying society, it is also a great dishonor to the person and work of Jesus Christ. So to be clear, society does not get to define what marriage is. They have no right to do so. Only God does that. And if society chooses to depart from God's design, they have created something that is not marriage. It's a perversion of it. And it is grossly misrepresenting the beauty of Christ's love for his people. He is the ultimate bridegroom. And his delight is in his bride. So when the church is told here, let marriage be held in honor above all, can you see why this is so important? It has gospel implications all underneath it. It's got God, Jesus' fingerprints all over it. It's a pillar of society, yes, as God formed it. But marriage also speaks to our salvation. It says something about Jesus and us. Godly marriage speaks well of our godly Savior and his bride. No Christian and no church can obey this command that's being given here by rejoicing in a marriage between anything other than one man and one woman. And we must, as a people, honor marriage by affirming God's design and rejoicing in the work of our Savior for those that he loves. We're also being told here to honor marriage practically in our homes by the way that we conduct ourselves in purity with one another. This is how we love one another. And this starts with husbands loving your wives as Christ loved the church. Men are being called to lead in their homes and in their marriages with sacrificial 
love. They nurture their wives. And they care for her like a garden. The man tends to his wife. And the love of Christ and the word of Christ, that's how he tends to her, with Christ's love and word. And what happens when he does that? She bears fruit. Physically, she bears fruit with children. Spiritually, she bears fruit with godliness, holiness. This is the standard that is to be upheld in the church, and all of God's people are to rejoice in that again because that says something about Jesus in the way that we love our wives and our wives love us. Adultery and sexual immorality, what do they do? They say something that is anti-gospel. A husband who lusts after a woman who is not his wife is living out an anti-gospel. His confession and his practice do not line up. He is living in hypocrisy. The same for a wife who gives herself to another man. Jesus Christ, what does he do in his relationship with his bride? He deals with us in all purity and devotion. Husbands and wives must do the same. And I think we all know here that we live in a very impure world, do we not? We have to be very careful with what we set our eyes on. And you have to understand that when we're told here sexual immorality, that that covers a wide range of sexual sin. Adultery is specifically dealing with sexual sin within the confines of marriage. Christ does not step out on his bride. He is united with us. We do not step out on our spouse either, breaking the unity, the covenant that we have made with one another. But sexual immorality, as it's given here, includes fornication. Fornication, that's a word that we don't hear very often, is it? What is it in layman's terms? Two people who shack up or claim to love one another, but what do they do? They're giving themselves to one another sexually. That's what fornication is. That is included in this command right here. This can also include sexual lust, pornography, any other sexual deviation that occurs outside of the marriage bed. We're called to purity. Nothing less. And to celebrate, honor, we're being told here. Marriage should be honored, lifted up. Like that is what you should be striving for. Because a marriage done well will speak well of the gospel that we all claim to love. That's what it's there for. So when you see Arnie and Lori News, how long have you all been married? That's a long time, isn't it? But how wonderful. It's a long time of Christ's love. So we're quick to like say, ah, oh, how have you put up and ah, that's ridiculous. 
We like to crack jokes, do we not? And maybe some of those jokes speak to something that we actually think. Well, our hearts should be molded by God's word to see it like this and say, ah, oh, what a beautiful thing that Arnie has loved his wife as Christ has loved his church for 44 years. Praise God for that. We'll say the same for Bob and Betty that are back there. How long have you all been married? What? <laughs> I didn't know that. Praise God. We're being told here to honor marriage, celebrate marriage. It's going to be honor godly marriage because godly marriage honors Christ. And we do know, do we not, that young people are often apprehensive about marriage. Why is that? Why is that? Probably a lot of reasons. Maybe they've seen ungodly marriages modeled. That's probably a pretty prominent reason, unfortunately. But there's more going on there than that. I think often they think that it restricts their individuality and they might not suit their lifestyle of independence that they want to have. And so in the church, what do we have to do? We have to model the beauty of what marriage is. And there is nothing more beautiful than the delight that Christ has for his church. And when that shines forth in a home, Husband caring, sacrificing, serving, nurturing, gardening in his home. Not absent, not just out there making money for the family and caring for them physically, which should be done, but caring for that family spiritually. It is his calling to serve his family in this way. He's willing to sacrifice himself every day for the good of his house. And it will grow and multiply and be beautiful if done rightly. And sometimes we live in a fallen world Things don't always go the way that we want to, but we trust those into the hands of God. And when we fail, what do we do? We repent of our sin. When I fail as a husband, when I fail as a father, that is the first thing that I should do, and that claims through what I do that I believe the gospel. I ask for forgiveness, which means I believe that Jesus died for that sin. I don't make excuses for it. I don't justify it. I show them Christ-likeness in my failure, even. I should. That's what needs to be modeled to the church, that kind of love, marriage love. I was driving down the street this week, listening to the radio. Songs were coming on, and it just occurred to me that you don't ever hear music about marriage love, do you? They're singing about love. They're not singing about marriage. Every now and then a country song will do it. Every now and then. That's the goodness of country music. I don't think pop music does that ever. Tell me one song that's like on the radio that's pop music. They're singing about marriage love. I don't think it happens. Correct me afterwards if I'm wrong. This is not from the Lord. That is for sure. It's just me listening to the radio. Not many songs about marriage love because that, that, that proves what the world values. They don't value marriage love. What do they value? They like to sing songs about love that says, I just showed up at the club and I saw you for the first time and I want to have sex with you kind of love. That's what they sing about. That's what the whole radio is all about. And they name that love. 
It values dating and freedom and the I could have another you in a minute love. Don't they? That's what they sing about. But God, when he chose to put a symbol on earth of ultimate love, the kind of love that he showed was where the God-man went and gave his life so that his bride could be happy forever kind of love. When he chose to do that and put a symbol of that on earth, he did that between a man and a woman joined together in covenant love called marriage. That's the kind of love that we actually show up and sing about on Sunday mornings, and sometimes we don't know that's what we're singing about. Paul said this is a mystery in Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm talking about Christ and the church when he's talking about marriage. So we're celebrating marriage love when we sing about Jesus because he has modeled that and done that for us. So can you see why that we are told here in these verses, God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Why would he do that if love is love? Because he tells us what kind of love is pure and righteous and holy. As Christ's church today, people who confess him as Savior, people who confess that we belong to him alone, I think a few, few questions are in order. Many of you all in here are married. And if you are married, is your marriage reflecting the gospel, the gospel that I have spoken of today? Christ's love for his bride. Are you committed to one another? Are you faithful sexually to one another? Are you faithful in the roles that God has given you? Roles that point to the goodness of your Savior and God's design for marriage. Husbands, are you loving your wives sacrificially? Are you leading her in godliness? Are you tending to her like the garden that God intends for her to be so that she will bear fruit? Wives, do you respect your husbands? And are you faithfully helping him in his calling to lead your home well? Is there any repentance that needs to happen so that your marriage can be more honorable? Most certainly here we see that it must be a repentance of defiling the marriage bed if that is happening. For the unmarried. Not everyone aspires to be married. Some are given the gift that Paul says he wishes that everyone would have. He says, I wish that all of you could be like me, but some of you got to be married. He saw that he was able to freely serve the Lord with everything that he had. 
And then when you get married, there is some division of attention that, is, that happens. But he saw the beauty in marriage. And so if you are unmarried and you aspire to be married, pray for a marriage that is worthy of honoring like you see here. Pray for a godly spouse as defined by God's word. Not a spouse that will love you like the radio prophets say, but a spouse that will love you like Christ in his word says here that he models for us. You ought to read about godly marriage in good books. We don't have that portrayed for us very often on media, do we? Again, same thing as the radio. So maybe we've got to read old books and maybe watch old shows that tell us something much different about marriage. I see Dan up there nodding his head. He's thinking Little House on the Prairie. I know it. <laughs> but it's true. There used to be something of goodness portrayed, what we might call entertainment. Boy, it's just not the case anymore. What a shame. Again, reflecting our culture's values. So not just read about marriage in good books. Read about godly marriage as you see them around you. Talk to the people who have been married for a long while, who are doing this well. Not just staying together because they have to, but thriving together because they love Jesus together. Talk to them. Pick their brains. Ask what they did poorly. I guarantee you they'll have answers. They probably have fewer answers about what they did well. Learn from them. Gain wisdom for yourself as you prepare to be married yourself. And as you prepare for marriage, purify yourself sexually. That is clear here. Prepare yourself for a future spouse who must also be a Christ-loving person like yourself. And if there is repentance that's needed, whether in thought, with your eyes, remember Jesus said if you lust after a woman, it's better you cut your eye out and cast it away than your soul be thrown into hell. He's talking about take drastic measures here to ensure your purity, to ensure your holiness. So if there's repentance needed, it could be thought, the way you're, you're thinking, your mind, your eyes, your actions, do that here as you are engaged with God's word. As you're convicted, deal with the Lord right now. Commit yourself to him. Lord, I will be pure. Christ wants a pure bride for himself in holiness. I must be pure for the spouse that you give to me here on earth to model the gospel and to do it well. These are house rules for us if we are children in the Lord's house. And these are good. We receive them as good because our Father he truly knows best. We'll come back next week and pick up from here and finish this passage. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your word. Your word cuts to the quick. 
It does not allow us to escape or to equivocate or to justify or to make excuses. You simply tell us that we are to be pure and we are to honor the marriage bed. So, Lord, we receive these words today as from you because they are your word. We want Jesus to have a holy bride. Convict us of our sins. Lead us to repentance. Cleanse us as we trust in Christ With his perfect blood, he washes us. And he cares for his bride with the water of the word. You're constantly washing us, Lord Jesus, and we ask that you would wash us with this word today. Use this to change the way that we go about our lives every day, the things that we look at, the things that we do, the things that we think on, the way that we treat our spouse, Lord Jesus, Purify your bride and make us more holy in just the way that we interact with one another down here. Help us to show practical love. And may marriage be honored in this place. God, help your church to care for those who are mistreated. Maybe those who are in prison, but those who are downtrodden, hurting, weak, I pray that this is a church that will care for them, that we will use our resources individually and corporately to minister to those outside of our walls and inside of our walls. Will you show us how we can better do that? And as we ask these things, we do expect, Lord, that you will grant them. This is your heart. Please give abundantly to your church to do as you have said. And we ask it in the strong name, the good name, the perfect name, the pure name of Jesus. Amen.